Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hi, I'm going to whisper some things to you now about crunch chocolate bars. Because apparently this whispering thing is a thing that makes you feel things. It's saying something crunchy is coming in the candy wrapper language. Mm. Imagine your tongue hiking up those crispy, rocky ridges. Now, drum roll, please. Wow, that's good. Crunchy, munchy chocolate doesn't whisper. Turn up the fun with Crunch. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to Smart TV with me, Kellyanne Taylor, and David Butcher. Hello. This week, we are going to be talking you through all of the Christmas telly that is on over the festive period. David, how is it looking? I think it's looking pretty good. I think it's not one of those... Some years, you look at the whole of the Christmas New Year telly and you think, wow, there's one big property that really stands out there's something that everyone's looking forward to a real blockbuster it usually a drama it doesn't feel like there's that this year uh but there are lots of good smaller things lots of quality stuff scattered through the schedules uh hopefully a few kind of slightly more hidden gems that we'll pull out um it's i think the thing is these days on old-school broadcast linear telly, they don't throw as much at it as they used to. Once upon a time, it was all about who'd get the biggest audience share over Christmas and the BBC would really go to town on it. They don't do that in quite the same way these days. Uh, But there's still, as I say, there's some good stuff there. And what about Christmas specials? Are they looking good this year? There's lots of them, aren't there? I mean, there's the Call the Midwife Christmas special, there's the Strictly special on Christmas Day, there's Death in Paradise, there's All Creatures Great and Small. So those kind of things that you'd expect. I mean, to an extent, Comfort TV, that stuff is there. And thank heavens, we need that now more than ever. Let's talk about the chunky new dramas that are coming up. So tell me, what should people be looking out for and when will that be on telly? Well, I was thinking, I've, been, I've watched a lot of telly. How, the, how many hours do you think you've actually watched preparing for this double issue? Squirreling I away. I would say, I mean, it's certainly, it's it's like a dozen hours of stuff. I wasn't working like flat out full time on it like mm. some people. I mean, there's some years when you just, in the course of a week, I remember watching like 20 hours of stuff. Of telly. The terrible thing is <laughs> when you watch your sort of 15th Christmas special of something, <laughs> you get a bit, a little bit kind of embittered about it and yeah. cynical. But not this year, I'm glad to say. But anyway, I was looking back on this, what I had to watch and preview. Uh, and I was thinking the thing that I really enjoyed is a thing called Stonehouse, which is on ITV. Now, it's not really Christmassy. It's actually, it starts on the 2nd of January and then runs nightly. It strips across the week. Um, but... 
it is part of what feels like it's become a bit of a tradition, which is dramas that are based on scandals from the kind of 50s, 60s, 70s. So we had a very English scandal about the Jeremy Thorpe affair. And then the, the year after that, there was a very British scandal, which was about the, uh, was she the Duchess or the Countess of Argyle? And that whole scandal, the, the headless man and so on from the 60s. This year, it's ITV and the Stonehouse is John Stonehouse, the Labour MP. And he was a minister, fairly junior minister in the 1960s and 70s. And some people remember the bizarre story about him, which was that he disappeared in 1974. He disappeared from a Miami beach. His clothes were just piled up on the beach. He disappeared. Nobody knew what had happened to him. And it was assumed he was dead. And that was an issue for the Labour Party at the time because they had a very slim parliamentary majority. He then, this is not really a spoiler because uh, a lot of people know this, but he then turned up a few months later in Australia and and was spotted there. And I won't go into it any more than that because it is quite nice going into this not knowing everything about it. But it was an extraordinary scandal. And the aspect of it that only came out subsequently was that John Stonehouse had been recruited by Czech intelligence to provide secrets for them while he was a, a, a government minister. Now, I say that happened. His family still deny that's the case. And it's interesting, this drama has a documentary after it where they, they'll go into some of this. But there was a very good documentary earlier this year on Channel 4 about the whole affair where they found the documents in the Czech archives that show John Stonehouse was an agent for them. All of that is kind of played for laughs in this drama. And it works because playing John Stonehouse is Matthew McFadgen, who is, he's the reason to watch it. He's wonderful. It's not one of those things I, I can recommend sort of completely wholeheartedly because there are things in it. I like, it's three episodes. I think they probably could have done it in two. It feels a bit padded out at times. It's whatever you think of it. And there are slight, you know, sort of baggy patches in it. But Matthew McFadgen is great in it. He plays Stonehouse as this kind of, pompous twerp, really, who sort of, there's a bit of the cad about him, and he's very good looking. He's got this sort of brilliant frizzy hairdo, and he thinks he's a great player in the government, and he's not. He's a bit of a patsy. He loves the sound of his own voice, but underneath it all, he's completely hopeless. And with the money he gets from Czech intelligence, he starts all these business ventures that then go belly up. And because he's going bankrupt and because he's done various fraudulent things, he decides to disappear and start a new life under a new identity. And in the background of all this as well, there's a kind of love triangle between him, his wife, who's played by Keely Hawes, who is, of course, Matthew McFadden's other half in real life, and his secretary. It's not taken seriously at all in this adaptation. It's done as a kind of bumbling farce, which could be a bit much, except, as I say, that McFadden's great. Every scene, he comes up with some brilliant deliveries and some brilliant sort of twitchy comic business. Uh, so I'd say well worth watching, if only for his performance. That's really interesting. I wonder how you feel about if they're, slightly making fun of something which I assume was quite serious for the family and that they denied. Do you ever think that there's repercussions and and it's come into play more with more serious type of drama that's been adapted about, you know, true life stories? Do you think there's ever a responsibility? I think there absolutely is. And I think, in fact, earlier this year, I think the family came out, I think it was one of his daughters came out and said they weren't happy about this going ahead. The trouble is... At a certain point, your story becomes 
public property. And I think it's a tougher call when it's a true crime thing, one of those dramas that may be largely faithful to the facts, but then may need to embellish a bit. And that must be very painful for the people involved, for the relatives and friends of people. It's complicated. I mean, there's a whole sort of debate around that. And I think the short answer is you have to do it responsibly. Okay, well, that sounds worth a watch. What was the second chunky drama that's coming out? Well, I think the other big thing that's sort of new and interesting is Mayflies, which is on BBC One in that period between Christmas and New Year on the consecutive nights on the 28th and 29th of December. And this is an adaptation of the novel some people may have come across or read by Andrew O'Hagan called Mayflies about, it's sort of about male friendship as much as anything. And in it, the two main stars are Martin Compton and Tony Curran, Martin Compton from Line of Duty and so on. So he plays a successful novelist who's living down in London, but grew up in in Scotland. And he gets a call from his old friend, Tully, uh, to come up and see him. He goes and sees Tully and discovers that they're only in their 40s or something. And he discovers that his oldest best friend has got terminal cancer. And Tully wants him to kind of manage his his final months going through the illness uh, and has a huge favor to ask him that is that is sort of ethically very complicated. I won't I won't put any more detail on it than that. The novel is partly told in flashback, and so is the the drama, to the time when they were a gang of teenagers and they went from Scotland down to this great music festival in Manchester that they were very excited about. And this was like a formative experience for all of them. And so it's kind of about being young and being passionate about music and so on and growing up and the responsibilities of adulthood. And also it's very much a drama about about death, really. And so it's, it's, in a way, it's not cheery at all. There's a problem with it for me, which is that this key character, Tully, who's meant to be this great sort of extrovert, life force, sort of rebel character who's the kind of ringleader of this gang. And so it's appalling for them that he's ill. And we don't really get a chance to know him and to sort of see why this is so bad and why he's so special. Uh, We're just kind of presented with this as a fait accompli. For me, although there are sort of ways that the drama could be improved on, at the end of it, it's very powerful. And it kind of raises really big questions about sort of, you know, how you should live your life and what it means to die well and kind of big stuff like that. And about what matters more, friendship or your romantic relationships. That's one of the things that Andrew O'Hagan actually says in an interview that we've got in the magazine. He talks about how, although you get a lot of stories about romantic relationships and marriages and so on, you don't get much about friendships, which can last from your childhood right through to your deathbed. And are they more or less important than, say, a marriage? Yeah. Um, so it's got some big stuff in there, and it's really interesting. It's not perfect, but it's well worth a look. Well, I think also, we've spoken about this before, that lots of the dramas that come out around this time are really gritty and dark. And actually, maybe it's a good time to be asking those questions because it's, you know, Christmas, as much as it is about joy and happiness, it's also about reflecting on the past year. And this isn't an easy time for lots of people. So maybe those questions will linger more in people's yeah, minds no, as I, they watch. I think you're absolutely right. And it does, it does feel in an odd sort of way as though coming out at Christmas or in that sort of crimbo limbo, you know, between Christmas and New Year, when you are reflective and you are thinking about some of that stuff and what you're going to do in the next year and so on, it, it, it it's quite good scheduling in that sense, I think. As a middle-aged bloke, it's nice to see something 
that sort of celebrates middle-aged blokes and their friendships. And, you know, if you've still got friends that you were friends with when you were teenagers, mm. then that's a, that's a weird thing. And it's easy to get sort of nostalgic about those things. But what do they really mean? And I think it's interesting that it looks at that. It doesn't, it still feels to me as though there's a better drama to be made about those things. Mm. Actually, you could argue the next thing we're going to talk about, uh, Detectorist does that better. <laughs> but anyway, let's come to that next. So... For those who don't want to be dark and dreary and reflective, what would you recommend for light-hearted, good-humoured viewing? Well, I would say that Detectorist coming back after, I think it's five years away, is real cause for celebration. It's a funny show, this. It's one of those shows when you talk to somebody who knows it and loves it, they are passionate about it. And yet you'll mention it to somebody else and they'll say, what's that? Um, And I guess in that sense, it's a cult show, but it's a big cult. And it's a beautiful thing. I mean, it's the show. It's written by Mackenzie Crook. It's about people doing metal detecting in the Essex countryside. It's mainly about the relationship between these two characters played by Mackenzie Crook and Toby Jones. They're called Lance and Andy. And they are old mates. Uh, but they're slightly, you know, nerdy old mates. They're quite reserved in the way that a lot of English blokes are. (laughs) And they're hobbyists, and they're slightly obsessive about that. And maybe that hobby shows up certain other kind of streaks in their character. But it's a beautiful, warm, lovely show, full of great characters. It's not one of those out-and-out sitcoms where there's set-up gag, set-up gag. It's much more about spending time with the characters who are funny and there is great character comedy in there. It's the only show I can think of where you'd get a joke about whether you should keep tomato ketchup in the fridge or not, but there is a kind of running joke about that. <laughs> and it's that kind of level. But it's oh, this time, they've done it on a slightly bigger canvas. So there's sort of more at stake than there usually is. I mean, I think they did three series of Detectorist in the end. And it does feel like they've got a good sort of premise for the plot, which I won't give away, that is worth a kind of longer comeback special. I mean, the the basic thing is that a rift opens up between Lance and Andy. It's also got uh, Rachel Sterling in it, of course, who plays Andy's other half. And Rachel Sterling's mother was Diana Rigg, who was also in the show playing her character's mother. She died, of course, sadly, a couple of years ago um, since the last series was made. But there's a scene in this where Rachel Sterling is talking about the death of the character, her mother, where you feel she's really channeling. It feels very real. It doesn't feel like she's acting. It's a lovely show. I mean, people who follow Detectorist won't need any encouragement to watch it. But the good news is they've done it in style. It's really great. And there's even a little cameo from Alice Roberts, you know, who presents a lot of archaeology stuff on TV. And there's a little uh, fleeting moment where she's in it as well. So it's lovely. Do you think you can join this show if you haven't seen the previous series or do you recommend to go back and watch? I think you can absolutely come in at this point. I think it sounds on its own and then that might make you want to go back and watch series one, two and three and the various other specials there's been uh, and you won't regret that either. I have to say it's a very particular kind of taste. It won't be to everyone's taste. It's that kind of show because it's very kind of low key Um, but I love it and lots of people love it too and yeah, if you've never discovered it, you've got a treat ahead. Great. Well, I'm going to offer one of my own Christmas treats for listeners. So something that I watched over the last week preparing for the double issue is The Boy, The Mole, The Fox and The Horse, which is based on the book by Charlie Mackesy. And it is a gorgeous story about a young boy who is lost and On his journey to find home, he befriends three animals. So you've got a mole, who is voiced by Tom Hollander, a fox, who's 
at first initially very cunning, uh, played by Idris Elba and this majestic horse played by Gabriel Byrne. And the the four of them come together and go on this adventure and lots of unforeseen events happen. There's storms and, you know, ridiculous events that kind of plucked out of nowhere and, and they overcome them. But I think it's it's definitely family viewing, but there's this really, really nice running theme through it. And I think for a lot of people who uh, are looking for some slow TV, who are looking for something more comforting, more wholesome, there are some really nice lines in the show. And it, it was actually really interesting for me to watch this because it reminds me of when we talk to young people or children or, or, or younger members of our family, we're so encouraging. You know, we say things like, well done, or, you know, if you're having a hard time, it's okay. Like, just take it step by step. And I think that Although this is intended for younger people, anyone can watch it and come away with this feeling of hope or some kind of solidarity that things aren't so bad out there, which was really lovely. Sounds wonderful. I mean, you had me at There's a Mole played by Tom Hollander. (laughs) He's a very good mole. So, for example, one of the things that he says, and it it kind of picks up on, on different things that I think different people in different families would feel. So, for example, the mole as a strange obsession with cake, but also finds it very difficult to communicate how he's actually feeling. So the mole will say to the young boy, um, sometimes I can't say I love you. So I say, I really enjoy being here. And it's that kind of exploration Mm. of emotion. And there's just the one line is in it. And I think Gabriel Byrne, who plays the horse, I mean, I don't know if if he could do like maybe a deal with Calm or Spotify and just give you those one-liners that you need to be manifesting. In I'm the not morning. sure. I'm not sure they can afford Gabriel Burns. <laughs> Probably not. But that was for me. That's on BBC One um, at four fifty-five on Christmas Eve, and I think that would be the perfect thing to snuggle up with, like a hot chocolate or a mulled wine under the blanket, and give that a watch. It before. sounds great because sometimes with those. Christmas animation things that are adapted mm. from kids' picture books, there just isn't enough material in the yeah. book and they get a bit sort of overstrung out yeah. uh, because they're, they're trying to make half an hour out of not very much. Uh, yeah, but what, from what I can gather, this book, I guess this has come out since my kids were little because I'd never come across it. Me neither. But it, it sounds like they haven't done that here. It sounds like they've got the kind of pacing yeah. right and it's got enough going on and the animation is beautiful i mean it's like those it's vast landscapes of just white and it's very soft and pretty and like you say then it doesn't feel at any point like it's filler you know it feels like it the pace is wonderful it's it's slightly slower you know it's not action-packed 30 minutes but it's it's definitely really really well done excellent well that sounds very good i mean i kind of feel like the next thing i'm going to talk about the ghost's Christmas special is in the same vein in that it will leave you, broadly speaking, feeling calmer and happier and better than before you started watching it. It's on BBC One just before Call the Midwife. It felt like a sweet little sitcom. It's now huge. I mean, it's, you know, it gets its own Christmas Day special. It's been adapted in America and it's a big hit there, the American version, which you can also watch on iPlayer, I think. And and it's not bad at all. They haven't, uh, they haven't ruined it. I don't think they've improved it either because it is kind of unimprovable but the christmas day story is lovely the idea is that the ghosts decide that they're going to put on a pantomime to entertain allison and mike and they're such a great group you just love spending time with them and in this part of the theme of the thing is that it's okay to laugh 
at other people for their strange quirks because that's all part of what being in a family or being friends is about. And that's okay. And that's something that we can all enjoy and don't take that too personally. Uh, there's a lovely storyline with with Pat, the Scoutmaster. But they're all good. That's the thing with ghosts. You start saying, and the captain's wonderful or whatever. They're all great. It's all wonderful. And I would say, if you watch one thing this Christmas to put you in the mood, watch the Ghost Christmas special on Christmas Day on BBC One. That is a bold, bold recommendation. <laughs> so, I mean, anyone who's listening and isn't instantly adding that to their timetable of telewatching, what are you doing? Well, yeah, though I should say that the weird thing with ghosts is, ghosts started out as, a, as quite a funny sitcom. And these days, it's not that funny. There aren't many gag lines in it, but it is wonderful. I mean, I noticed actually we build it as comedy drama on a, in in the magazine because really it's a sort of warm-hearted half-hour drama with nice jokes in it here and there. Yeah. Uh, but it's very rarely laugh out loud funny these days. And that doesn't matter. That's not what it's about anymore. So that comes very highly recommended from you. And now I want to move on to talk about what you perceive to be, and you told me before this recording, in the top 20 dramas for you in your life. Well, yeah, it's, that's one of those things you say and then you think, hang on, I need to make a list to be sure about this. But uh, yes, let's, let's say that for the sake of argument. And this is, well, I mean, it's one of my favourite things ever. It's Happy Valley, which is back on BBC One. It's on New Year's Day. New Year's Day used to be the sort of time where the BBC would show a new episode of Sherlock or Doctor Who or something like that. So it's kind of prime TV real estate. The last series of Happy Valley was 2016. That was the series two. I think there were moments in both the series that were as powerful as anything I've seen. I mean, on the face of it, it's quite a straight-ahead police drama about a sergeant in the police in West Yorkshire, Catherine Kaywood. She's played by Sarah Lancashire. And at the other extreme, you've got the kind of focus of evil, this character called Tommy Lee Royce, uh, played by James Norton with incredible kind of intensity. But around the two of them, there's a whole network of characters and family and so on, including Siobhan Finneran plays Catherine's sister, who's a recovering drug addict. There's her grandson and so on. There's a wonderful texture to it. It's written by Sally Wainwright and she creates this whole world within which there is a, a crime drama unfolding and in the new one they, they discover some human remains at a reservoir uh, and Catherine's called to the scene and it kind of unfolds from there. But really as much as anything, it's about the tensions within families and the tensions within marriages and so on. Sally Wainwright is just one of the best writers we have. Sarah Lancashire is one of the best. I mean, it's full of great actors I found myself just being reunited with, with these characters and going back into that world. I found myself becoming quite emotional even before the drama had got going. And that's partly, as I say, because it's one of my favourite things ever. But I think anybody would get a lot out of this if you haven't seen the original Happy Valley. I used to have conversations with people back in the in the 2010s when this was was out who were kind of raving about whatever the latest cool thing was on, on Netflix at that point. And I'd say, yeah, but have you watched Happy Valley? It's free. You don't have to pay for it. And it's some of the best TV drama you'll ever get. And I stand by that. I really hope, I've only seen the first episode. I really hope it can sustain through, but I'm pretty sure it will. So that's on New Year's Day, Happy Valley, BBC One. doesn't get much better. That sounds brilliant. I mean, I haven't seen it, so I will be going home and... Well, so, but first two series are on iPlayer uh, and you can get... I mean, there is at the start of it, they have to have a long kind of recap because it's easy to forget who's related to who and how <laughs> exactly and why there's a bit of tension between two of the characters or whatever but yeah, yeah but funnily enough my my wife and my son are watching it from the start in her case again in his case for the first time and it's just as good now as it was then and if it only comes out on new year's day then all of our listeners have a chance 
between today when the podcast drops and about two weeks to go back and catch up before the new episode drops. You could absolutely do that and you should. It won't, I have to say, it's pretty bleak. It's not going to give you a really cosy kind of Christmas. But, but actually, there's a tradition of that at Christmas that you watch television about awful things or that, like in soaps, terrible yeah. things happen and then you don't feel so bad about your own life. You think, well... <laughs> At least we don't have a local kind of mass murderer who's, you know, that you've, it makes you feel better about yourself. That's so true because last year it was The Serpent. Or was that the year before that was doing the, that was the big kind of BBC Christmas? Yeah. yeah. Well, that came out, hug. I think that's that sort of had the New Year slot, didn't it? It did. Yeah, so it's, 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 it's a different kind of thing to The Serpent, but it, it'll shake you up, I warn you. <laughs> well, I mean, I have something to offer that sounds on the other end of the spectrum of what Happy Valley provides. So I've got Marie Antoinette, which is a BBC Two period drama. Now, I'm a big fan of period dramas. Anyone who's heard me cover for you in the past will know because each week I will bring the new something, be it Lady Chatterley's Lover on Netflix or Bridgerton. So this series is written by Deborah Davis, who is the Oscar-winning screenwriter of The Favourite, which had Olivia Colman in. And basically, yeah. And so she's now turned her hand to this series, which thrusts you kind of deep into the 18th century French court life. And it follows kind of a 13, 14 year old Marie Antoinette as she's forced to leave Austria to go to France to marry the heir, apparent Louis. It's a German actress playing Marie Antoinette, and her name is Amelia Schulm. Basically, she plays this 13, 14-year-old and it's really horrible because she's kind of forced to leave her pet pug. She's sobbing with her mother and then she arrives in Versailles and it's very much this court of lots of underhand politics, lots of uh, manipulation, people who uh, are close to the king, who get what they want. And she's this really awkward, bumbly teenager And she so quickly has to learn how to play the game. And one of the moments that, you know, really stick in my mind is after the marriage. So let me let me just add as a sub note that when she arrives, you know, she has these grand ideas of love and marriage without anyone having actually explained what's expected of a wife in the 18th century, i.e. to bear a son or an heir. And she arrives and Louis is a bumbly, awkward teenager too, who has absolutely no sexual attraction or desire or doesn't know how to handle it. So their wedding night, which is in the first episode, is onlooked by the court. And so the two young people have to kind of strip off and get into bed. And whilst the court are like heckling and throwing things at them and nothing actually happens, and so she has to kind of resort to finding a way to seduce her husband. So it's this really gritty, gravelly, interesting, beautifully shot, really well-written period drama, which I am obviously highly recommending. I think it's possibly as a result of that film you mentioned, The Favourite. It's There's become this whole kind of genre of revisionist history about yeah. queens, isn't it? There's the great... Uh, on, which with has been Al on Channel Fanny, 4 yeah. with Al Fanning, which is also about somebody going and... I mean, that's about Catherine the Great how as a young woman she goes to Russia to marry somebody she's never met before and is then expected to produce an heir and so on and has to come to terms with the weird world of that court. There's The Serpent Queen, which is about Catherine de Medici with Samantha Morton. Uh, There's also that thing, The Empress, I don't know if you've come across that, which is about the 
uh, Empress, Netflix, yeah, yeah, Empress Elizabeth of Austria, and it's this. It's become a whole genre that's kind of. I mean, it's feminist history. It's history or whatever. Yeah, it's as if you had somebody with a modern sensibility kind of teleported into that world yeah. and baffled by how they lived. And it's a, it's a good way of getting across how weird things were yeah. in the olden days kind of thing. And, and also the bizarre things in particular that women had to put up with. Yeah, and I think also it's funny you say that because I think it's often stories that have been neglected. You know, it's stories that we don't know. You know, we we know of Henry VIII, and but how much do we know about his wives? And there's that fascination of these women, and, and maybe that's all now being played out on television in a way that we haven't seen before. And like you say, through that feminist lens, it does very much feel like the perspective, even though it is of 18th century court, has got a feeling of 21st century themes. I mean, costume dramas go through phases, don't they? Uh, and it feels like the phase we're in at the moment is that nobody nobody cares. It's a bit like in Peaky Blinders. They, they were the first dramas to really use raunchy rock music yeah. over a period of drama. And the characters in The Great talk as if they were walking around modern Brooklyn or something. Yeah. And the other obvious example is Bridgerton, you know, where... You have those kind of things that aren't discrepancies anymore. It's just, let's not pretend we can actually recreate the world of yeah, the 18th century accurately. License. Let's not bother with that. Let's just imagine it as a sort of modern fantasy and use that as a way to project the issues that matter to us today, which is kind of what costume dramas have always been doing, whether they acknowledge it or not. Yeah. You can probably trace this back to things like Hamilton that were the first kind of things to really say, let's just turn this completely up in the air, do what we want with it. It's still an interesting story and we can still do justice to it, but in a very modern way. Yeah, that's very true. What I want to know now and what probably listeners want to know, we've, we've unpicked some very heavy dramas. Give me the pure escapism. Where can I find that on telly? I'd say for pure escapism, what often works really well is just lovely natural history, nature film, nice bit of David Attenborough type stuff. And this year, that comes on 30th December with, and I'm going to just sort of take a breath before I do this title, which is Macaques, colon, Monkeys in the Mountains, dash, a dynasty's special. Okay, so that's what it's called. It's basically, it's a leftover episode from the dynasties series about macaques, lovely, lovely monkeys in the Atlas Mountains of Morocco. If you want somewhere to escape to over Christmas, mentally at least, the Atlas Mountains look phenomenal in this. They are so beautifully photographed. And in a way, it's not in terms of the kind of wild drama that's going on. It's about the fight for sort of supremacy. Who's going to be the alpha male? It's that kind of story. And we're mainly focused on this character who they called Mac, rather unimaginatively. In a way, that kind of drama, the monkey business, if you like, in the foreground, it doesn't matter that much because you could almost watch it with the sound on or with some sort of classical music in the background. The scenery, the light the trees, the sort of ridges cloaked in mist. It's so beautiful. Uh, you just want to be there. And I think you'd be hard-pressed to do better for that kind of pure escapism, just being somewhere else for a bit and wafting away uh, with David Attenborough whispering in your ear. Any other little treats? Well, yes. One thing that I wanted to flag up, because we've kind of, we haven't actually flagged up in the magazine very much, but it's really good fun. It's called Our Flag Means Death. And it's on the 4th of January on BBC Two. It's been bought in from HBO. It's this little US comedy about pirates, about rubbish pirates on a rubbish ship with a rubbish captain. And it's got people like Taika Waititi involved. It's got lots of really good 
British character actors like Samson Ko, Ewan Bremner, the wonderful Scottish actor, uh, Rory Kinnear plays a rival captain. It looks really good fun. I've only watched the first episode. There's 10 of them. I think that's going to be great. So that'll be on iPlayer as well from the 4th of January. Now, what we usually do here is a one to miss. And yes. I think, Kellyanne, you have a one to miss to take I us out. I do, unfortunately. So it's Romantic Getaway. It's on Sky Comedy on New Year's Day, which is a big slot. It's 9pm. It's a big slot. But you're saying we should... We should swerve it. You're yeah, saying we shouldn't I'm watch. saying have an early night and get ready for, <laughs> for the second. And it's a shame because uh, I I signed up to watch it because I'm a big fan of Catherine Ryan and Ramesh Ranganathan, who in this show play Alison and Deacon, a couple desperate to have a child. And unfortunately, the chances of conception seem pretty slim. So they put all their eggs in one basket. As it were. Of private healthcare and they rob their boss who is this slimy kind of property developer played by Johnny Vegas of £50,000 to fund their IVF treatment and I think on the surface the concept is a good idea delivery is slightly flat and the tone is wobbly and there are some really sensitive moments that you feel like should be handled with care and then it warps back into comedy that's a little bit garish and crude and just something's missing. It's good to be reminded now and then that it's really, really hard to get comedy right. Yeah, and I mean... Everything has to has to be bang on for comedies to work, doesn't it? And I think I went into it slightly naively because Ramesh Ranganathan's avoidance was brilliant. Yeah, it was wonderful, wasn't it? And I think maybe what this shows is that... Because Ramesh Ranganathan has so many different projects running... Uh, at any one time. Always. He's everywhere and amazingly consistent. Pretty much everything he does yeah. is worth watching. In a way, it's quite reassuring that he's done something that isn't. Yeah, I mean, it, <laughs> good for all of us, I guess. It makes us feel better about ourselves. Exactly. So, David, you must have seen almost everything that's coming out on telly that you think you might want to watch. What will you be watching over Christmas? What will I actually watch in real time? I think, and this is this sounds like a very conventional answer, but I think I'm going to watch the King's Speech on Christmas Day, and I've I have there's no tradition in our family of like going back watching the Queen's Speech. I've never particularly done that. We've never gathered around the telly for that. But it just feels like it's such a moment, particularly this year, particularly in the wake of all the sort of Harry and Meghan series on Netflix. Yeah. Every, there's going to be so much attention on the kind of tone that Charles strikes in that address, and I think it's just it's going to be fascinating to see. And even if he doesn't allude to the whole Sussexes situation, people are going to read that in somehow. And also he'll want to, in a way, he'll want to kind of grab the spotlight back on him rather than the younger royals. So I think I might, for once, actually watch that as it goes out. I mean, it's only a few minutes long, isn't it? But it's uh, it'll be worth seeing, I think. Yeah, I'll definitely be tuning in for that as well. I won't be watching the whole Netflix. You, I know you've watched all the <laughs> all the Harry and Meghan series. That's, that's not for I'm me. I'm hooked. And so are your listeners after last week's episode, David. <laughs> I'm sure they are. <laughs> um, okay, well, that is all from us this week. Next week, we've got a very exciting episode where we're going to go through and highlight the best TV from 2022. So we will be navigating you through all of the box sets that are already at your disposal that you can sit back and watch over the Christmas break. And particularly ones that you don't need a subscription for as well. Yes, so that anybody can watch anytime. You don't need to be subscribing to some streaming platform. We'll, we'll mention some streaming stuff as well. But 
yeah, it's stuff for when you've, you're at a, a loose end over Christmas, there's nothing on you want to watch, here's where you should go. So uh, that's all from Kellyanne and me. Thanks very much for listening and join us again next week for the uh, look back at 2022. Until then, bye for now and happy viewing. <laughs>